0: Friends, in what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, God is called um, God is called a shepherd. He's called a rock. He's called a fortress and a high tower. He's compared to the sun sometimes, and other times to a shield. He's sometimes called a potter, and we are the clay. He's sometimes called or compared to someone who like works in a vineyard, kind of like a farmer. God is called, uh, like a, he said he's like a mother hen or a groom awaiting his bride. God is also called father. And for those of you who've grown up in church, perhaps it's surprising to know that God is not referred to as father very much in the Old Testament. He is, but it's not common. In fact, it's so far from common that Jesus calling God his father is one of the main reasons that the Pharisees state for wanting to kill him. It's blasphemy, they said, for you to call God your father. You, you calling God your father is in some way equating yourself with God, they said. And yet, Jesus' favorite way to refer to God is as father. So, in, in over 500,000 words in the Old Testament... We only have God called Father some 13 to 15 times. And yet in just the first four books of the New Testament, we call them the Gospels or the Gospel accounts, God is called Father over 150 times. Something new is happening when Jesus breaks onto the scene in this. Now Jesus would have had a whole pantry of stock images, of metaphors and analogies for God to choose from. He was a devout Jewish man, who knew the Torah. He grew up with these Old Testament stories as his Bible. And of all the ways to talk about God, what he fronted most often is God as Father, not God as Creator, not God as King, God as Father. And now in our cultural moment, I I assume some of us are immediately, or we immediately experience some tension with this maybe we've had terrible experiences with our own father figures or the lack thereof or perhaps we've had good fathers but we're we're neck deep in our social and ethical conversations and our culture right now there's two things i want to say first in order to claim that someone is a bad father we must have some knowledge of what we think a good father is we must We don't say something is bad unless we have some idea that it's not aligning with what we think is good. Maybe it's hard to define, maybe it's intuitive more than explicit, but our experiences with bad father figures don't mean that we have no concept of what a good father might look like. And second, God is neither male nor female. We do not call God father because he's male. But if God were female we call him mother or something. That's not why the church for 2000 years has been referring to God as father. Calling God father is not a conversation about sex or gender in the nature of God. Both men and women have been made in the image of God. There is something reflected and shown off about God in both male and female and maybe particularly in their unity in this world. God is neither male nor female though all good things come from God, including both men and women. So, there's big arguments right there that I want to move through, and you're welcome, I'll be up here after the sermon if you want to talk about some of these things, but I want to set those out there in case you're experiencing tension with that. Number one, if you've had bad experiences with fathers, I submit to you that you still have some concept of what a good one would be. And second, none of this is about God being male or female. He is neither male nor female. Okay, okay. When we call God Father, something else is going on. And I think it might just be a good moment to ask you to cast your imagination into this for just a second, because I've just made a big argument that I think we all do have some concept of what a good father might be. So just think about this for a minute. What would a good father do for his children? If there were such thing as a good father, I'm a father what kinds of things would I do for my children if I were a good one? Now, I'm not suggesting that there aren't mothers or people who aren't parents who couldn't do some of those same things. I'm just asking what a good father would do. So let me give you an example. I'll I'll speak to one. I, 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 I think a good father provides for his children. I think if my kids grow up and I have not provided for their needs and some of their desires, they would later feel like I was abandoning my post. Maybe they would feel it now, I'm not saying it has to be a full-time job, part-time job. I don't know about that. I just know that I believe fundamentally that I should not just be looking out for myself as a dad, for my three kids. That in some way, shape, or form, I ought to be looking at how I'm meeting their needs in this world as they grow up into adulthood. And so I'm making this claim. I think that a good father provides for his children. What else comes to mind? And I would love some act for you to actually say it. What are some things that you think good fathers do? I'm not going to stop and argue with you. I just want to know if you have some thoughts. What would a good father do for his children? Teach, right Teach them right from wrong. Yeah, it's kind of a confusing world. I, I, can't, I can't get into it with everybody. Sorry, it's great. Okay, I started right away. I got to be careful. What else? What else would a good father do for his children? Hmm. Thanks. What else? Provide, Provide, yeah. He would get to know them, them, yeah. He would love them. He would listen. He would what? He would protect his children. Yeah, as you might expect, many people around the world and throughout history have had similar ideas. In the ancient Near East, when Jesus was using the word Father to refer to God, some of these ideas were totally present. Maybe, maybe all of these ideas were present for him. None of them seem foreign to me when I read the New Testament text. But perhaps the number one connotation of Father, when Jesus was referring to God as Father, perhaps the number one connotation was that of belonging. Belonging. Now, I'm not saying whether this should be the connotation then or now. I'm just saying it it seems like it was in his day and age. This was a huge connotation for when Jesus used this idea of father to talk about God. Belonging. If someone was your father, you belong to his family, and your identity is wrapped up somehow in his identity. The tradition, the honor, the impact, the legacy of your father in that culture was also your legacy and honor as their child. I caught a glimpse of something like this a few weeks ago at church. This, I, think I, was, I think I was preaching that week. I don't know. I was sitting in the very front row. Normally, I sit in the back. So I must have been preaching or something. Anyway, um, and this, uh, a friend of mine's wife and little daughter came in and sat just in the row behind me, but like one seat over so I could kind of see them come in. Okay. And Letty, Letty's the three-year-old girl. I thought that my friend Preston named her Letty because of Dominic Toretto's. Uh, girl, but that's not true. Uh, she was actually named Letty after John Calvin's wife. So go figure. Um, if you don't know who either of those people are, you're missing out. Anyway, um, so Letty, three year old, three years old, sitting down right next to me, and then her mom Chesney is sitting right next to her. Okay, um, and after a couple minutes, Letty, who's three and very naturally distracted, she notices to her great delight and shock that her dad was the drummer on stage. I don't know what the conversation was, why she didn't think dad was sitting with them, but she had no clue that her dad was going to be on stage. Now, Letty knows all kinds of things about her dad. She lives with them. She's his daughter but apparently she had never before known that her dad could drum, okay? So, and there she is noticing for the first time her dad's a drummer, and I swear, it was awesome, it was awesome. He's basically a hero because he's not just drumming, he's on stage in front of an audience, you know, for his little girl, okay? And so, she just, she went nuts. She slapped her mom's leg and she goes, Mommy, dad plays drums? Oh my gosh! And she grabs her head and she stands up and she's screaming this. I mean, everybody's giggling and laughing in church, you know? Her dad, Preston, is just beaming on stage later I was like Preston did she's never seen you play drums he was like guess not I was like bro she lost her mind I mean she was like a fangirl in that moment of her dad like big time you know what I mean anyway she was so proud she was so proud that's the primary thing that I saw like at first it was like shock and delight right but mostly she just was filled with something like a good kind of proud proudness or pride Okay, she wasn't like estimating his drumming. She didn't stand up and go, good job, father, you know, or something. I don't know what that was. Sorry, British people or something. I don't know. Uh, uh, she didn't stand up and like evaluate or she wasn't like so happy because he was good at drumming. You see, she was just proud of her dad. And this was kind of all about identity. I think she was excited because somehow her own identity was connected with this because he's her dad and she's his daughter. And I could feel her going, that's my dad. Do you see what I'm saying? There's something in that moment of her own as a three-year-old. She's connecting somehow. This somehow means something to me that my dad is up there. Fatherhood has this sort of, it has this claim on something like identity. It has this relational um, it, part of it that's inherent to it. It's inherently relational. To call someone father means that I am that person's son or daughter. You cannot say father without implying a son or daughter. If I say to one of my daughters or my son, I love you and I love that you're my son or I love that you're my daughter, that means necessarily that I am their father or mother as I say it. It has to. It has to. It's an inherently relational term. You cannot have a father without a child or a child without parents. So there's something about this that's connected to belonging and identity. But in the ancient Near East, a father was also understood as an originator or like an author of a thing. And that may sound strange. That's like a, everybody here probably has some felt desire for belonging. So maybe you connect with that. I don't know if there's like a felt desire for like connecting to an author or originator of a thing or something. So maybe this sounds a little more strange, but we actually still hold on to like an element of this in our language We might say, for example, that William Morris is the father of modern design. We might say that. Or that Grandmaster Flash is one of the fathers of hip-hop. We might say that. And by that, of course, what we mean is that there is something of the spirit or nature of Grandmaster Flash infused in hip-hop. Something of hip-hop music began with him. When Jesus calls God Father, something like that is being communicated There's something about our identity with Him shared when we know Him as Father. And there is something of His nature, this this originating nature, there's something of Him that's being given to us. He is the source. Um, He would be called in other places in Scripture, the Alpha, Jesus would be called the Alpha and the Omega, but God would be called um, the, the, the beginning and the end. Jesus, part of what's so tricky, i got to just confess this to you, guys, part of what's so tricky about this particular sermon, and, and if you're preaching or teaching Bible studies, you'll come up against this a lot. Christians affirm, and we have for 2,000 years, something called the Trinity. Um, we believe that God is three in one, and this is, this is beyond anybody's ability to understand. It is not beyond our ability to have some kind of knowledge of, um, otherwise God would not have revealed it to us. But I'm brushing up against this, okay? Jesus, as the Son of God and as God, is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is encouraging us to look to the Father as a kind of author of our faith. Um, I'm so tempted to just kind of throw a a, a sort of a grenade in this room, theologically, to just kind of let you all just get super curious about this thing. But if you want to talk about some Trinity implications, we'll talk afterwards, okay. Uh, We also have some sermons on our podcast about the Trinity specifically. You're welcome to check that out, okay that's that's good enough um okay so th- there is there's something about uh, our belonging connected to god that's connected with us calling god father and there's also something about um the nature or something of god that originates in him that's given to us when we call god father jesus is really pushing forward a couple of these ideas and of course there's other ideas we've suggested in this room even that are also present at that time god as uh, father as provider or protector or, or something like this okay Why are we talking about all this tonight? Okay, our sermon series this semester is called Teach Us to Pray. We're going through something called the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, although last week we were preaching out of Luke chapter 11 because there's also a version of the Lord's Prayer there. In any case, you can listen to that too if you're confused. Um, Matthew chapter 6 is our text for tonight. We're going to go through this. The disciples asked Jesus in the gospel of Luke to teach us to pray, but in Matthew chapter 6 we have what seems like a fuller version of this kind of prayer and it's buried in the midst of an all-encompassing kind of kingdom of God sermon. And so there's a lot to like riff on in this particular text. And the reason fatherhood comes up is because this is how Jesus begins to teach his disciples to pray. Caleb, would you put up our father, just the phrase up here? I'd just love for it to sit up on the screen. When, when, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, pray like this or pray this, depending on which gospel account you're reading. And the first words in Matthew's gospel for this prayer are here. Start here, our father. This is how he taught his friends to pray. Not great king of high heaven. Not God Almighty. Not dear Lord and Savior. Not friend. All of these things are true about God. All of these things are true. Because of Jesus Christ, friends, we can have confidence that we can know and address God in any of those ways. You can They are good and accurate ways to know and address God. But when teaching his disciples to pray, Jesus teaches that we should pray our Father. It is not wrong to pray in other ways. Jesus and his disciples, if you read the text, pray in other ways. But in this moment where Jesus is distilling so much and giving them something that's that's not a whole book, it's not 17 chapters, it's not 14 points, it's not, it's not an acronym of letters with different stages that we go through. He teaches them this and he's, he's cutting to the heart of something in his teaching. This is not to say you cannot pray any other way, but if you want an education on how to pray, pray this. There's something Jesus is doing when he teaches us that it's good to pray this way and it's good for us to begin to pray to God as our Father. Father. First, a little note about this first word. It might be easy to skip over. The word our. This whole prayer is corporate. The whole prayer is corporate. Again, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong if you pray, my Father in heaven, or if you say, give me today my daily bread. That's not wrong to do that. But perhaps there is something really good for us in the teaching of Jesus to remember when we go to pray that we are not alone. When I use the word our, when I pray, I am immediately reminded that I'm part of a tribe. When I pray for our daily bread, I'm praying for you and for me. I'm not just looking out for myself. I don't just think it's important that I forgive. I pray that we would forgive. That we would be known as a people who forgive. That we would be known as a people who love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us not just those who persecute me. It's not just that I am given over to, not that, Lord, please make it so that I am not given over to evil and so that I conquer and overcome and pass safely through temptation. Lord, I pray we do. Or we pray we do. When I pray this word, our, I remember that God's kingdom is coming and His will is being done in our community and on this earth which belongs to all of us, not just me. Is there something instructive in this? Is there something helpful if I remember to pray in the, in the, in the corporate sense? Our Father. I think so. What kind of healing might God bring if we begin to pray as a part of community even when we're alone? What happens to my spirit to my mind, to my heart, to my fears when I pray, Our Father. I don't just remember that I belong to God and I'm his son and whatever that means, but I also remember that I belong to you and you belong to me. And we are not alone. God is not just my father, he is our father and we are his daughters and his sons together what would change? How would that fortify our courage and our love? Perhaps Jesus means something by teaching us to pray corporately. So don't skip so quickly over the first word. And then he says, Father, of all the possible ways we could address God, I'm reminded of, I was playing uh, a game called Halo this week uh, with my son and my, one of my best friends and this other guy that my son knows from school um and this guy it was super funny um this kid says my so my son's 14 for context and my son says hey daddy is it okay if, if Nate plays with us and listen we're all wearing headsets I'm looking super cool my wife she, she she's very attractive when I wear headphones <laughs> and I play the Xbox okay um and uh and so my son says can can Nate play with us and I not being a very good father but, but trying to, like, hedge my irritation levels, I say, buddy, you can't, but you guys, you can't talk the whole time. Because whenever I hear you guys playing Xbox games, it is just, like, I just hear my son go, Nate, 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 Nate. And I'm sure Nate's yelling, Jack, Jack, Jack. And they're all trying to get each other's attention. It just sounds overwhelming. So anyway, Nate comes on, and the first thing he says, he goes, hey, Jacks, Dad, hi. And I said, hey, Nate. Uh, and he goes, I know I sound like I'm five, but I'm really twelve uh because people say that all the time they always say I sound like I'm five but I'm really 12 and I just die laughing right and then he says what should I call you Jack's dad isn't that sweet I loved him right from that question you know and I had a decision to make right I had a decision to make am I gonna say you can call me sir Nate 12 year old that sounds like he's five you know what I mean um I could have said you call me Mr. Leonard that's my name I could say I'm a priest you should call me reverend or something. You know, I was, anything like this, right? I just said, hey, man, call me Jason. We're playing a video game. You know what I'm saying? And here's what I knew, though. I knew that my answer to his question was going to impact the relationship that he understood that we have, and it would also impact how I treated him the rest of the time. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, he just got it intuitively. His parents might have taught him well. Maybe he just figured it out. Maybe this is like an awesome moment to play with your dads because they never want to do that with you or something. I don't know. But anyway, so he kept calling me. Anyway, it was hilarious. We muted him for most of the game. But anyway, um, <laughs> it was actually... Su- okay, one more story about Nate. This guy is hilarious. I got to meet him at some point. Uh, the, uh, at one point, my friend Brian had muted Nate for two games. I didn't know that. Um, but 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 my son said, hey, Dad, I just... Got the rank of general, and Nate says, "Maybe you could tell me why I'm generally interested in that information." And Brian starts laughing, and he goes, "Oh my gosh, I just unmuted in time to hear that." And Nate goes, "I knew you muted me. I knew you muted me." You know, and I was like, "All right, guys, last game. Anyway, whatever. That's my life." Okay. Oh, uh, okay. Let's see if we can scratch that. And move on. Okay. Um. Okay. Somehow, let's circle back. Um. Okay, of all the possible ways we could address God. I was thinking of Nate and how do I address how he addressed me, how I address God, whatever. Okay. Of all the ways that we could invoke God's name, okay? Of, or some of, and, and summon some kind of radical courage and, and address the one who was and is and is to come. What a crazy thing to pray directly to God. Think about it. Of all the ways that we could do that, Jesus tells his disciples that they can just call him Father. Now, we've already talked a little bit about this, but, but given that this term, this idea of fatherhood can conjure up like so many different images, and our own experiences have shaped what that word means to us, it's important to see how Jesus displays the Father to us, and to let Jesus teach us what he means when he says Father, so that I don't slip into thinking that my Father in heaven is like my dad. Jesus says, for example, no one comes to the Father except his Son. Or sorry, no one knows the Father except his Son. No one knows the Father except his Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What a mysterious and fascinating thing for Jesus to say, who identifies as the Son. In other words, Jesus is saying, you need to see me to see the Father. I'm revealing the Father to you. John began his gospel by saying that Jesus makes God known to us. Jesus and the Father are one to such a degree that when his disciples say, Jesus, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. In John chapter 14, he famously tells them, I am the way. Remember, they said, show us the way. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I realize that there are times that people have used that verse from John 14 to talk about the exclusivity of the kingdom of God. But Jesus did, Jesus did not say, no one comes to the Father except through me, in order to draw a line in the sand in that moment. He said it to get to his anxious friends who were worried that they were going to get lost and didn't know the way. They were worried, he said he was leaving, and he wanted them to know He wanted to give them comfort and peace in this terrible moment of anxiety for them that if they want to find their way to the Father, all they have to do is look to him. So he even says to him at one point, because after they said that, gosh, I'm off my notes so much right now. One of his disciples says to him, um, just show us the Father then. That's enough for us. He says, have I been with you so long you still don't know me? God, it's a tender moment. In his most vulnerable moment, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying before his Father in heaven, Jesus prays, Abba, Father. We actually sang the word Abba before. This is an Aramaic term that means dad. It's kind of, it's it's not informal, but it's intimate. Dad. It's what little kids would have called their dad growing up in Jewish homes in the first century. It's what Jesus would have called Joseph if Joseph was alive when Jesus was young. We don't know. But here in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's on his knees, and one of the gospel writers says he's sweating blood because he's so anxious. Do you know Jesus had anxiety? Anyway, he's so anxious in this moment. And as he's praying, he says, Abba, Father, Abba, Peter. He he uses Aramaic and Greek, smashes them together. It's like he's using every word in his twin vocabularies to say, to call God Father in this moment of his greatest suffering. As if in his hour of suffering, what he needed more than anything else is to remember who the Father is and who he is to the Father. When we want to know what Jesus means by Father, we need to look at how he interacts with God as Father and how he talks about God as Father. And so when he says something like, do not be afraid, little children, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. That's how Jesus talks about the Father. That should color and inform what we think about when we think about the Father and how it applies to our relationship with God. Don't be afraid. He's pleased to give you his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, is this what you think about when you think about your relationship with God? Is this what you imagine when you pray? Or do you envision a distant authoritarian being? A God who is displeased or disinterested Or do you envision a loving father to whom you belong and who will give you everything you need and more? When Jesus instructs his disciples to pray our father, he is reframing their understanding of who God is and who they are before they make a single request. Because it turns out everything that we pray for after this, we could ask of anybody. We could ask of the influencers that we follow. We could ask of our best friends. We could ask of lovers and potential lovers and parents and and enemies. We could ask them for their kingdom to come into our lives. We could ask for their will to be more done in our lives. We could ask them to provide for our needs. For them to teach us how to interact with people around us. For them to lead us through the trials of this world with their fancy advice or something. Who you pray to and who you understand yourself to be is at the very beginning of this prayer. Would you put that last quote up, Caleb? This is from Wesley Hill. He says, God's Father must always and only be understood through His unity and his self, with His self-giving Son. You cannot know the Father except through the Son, friends. Any picture of God as Father that leads us to think in terms of domination and cruelty, rather than of humble service and unending love, is not a true understanding of God, of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. What does Jesus reveal to us about the character and nature of God? Go to him as a beloved child. Go to God in prayer as your father and you as his beloved child. A few years ago, and I'll bring it home with this, a few years ago, I was really struggling to pray. I don't remember why, praise God. Um, I just remember feeling some kind of dissonance, some like inner resistance to pray. Surely, it's always because of the same things. Surely, it's because I needed to reconcile with somebody and I was harboring bitterness in my heart towards somebody and withholding forgiveness. Surely, it's either that or I hadn't confessed sin. It's always going to be one of those two things. I was feeling some kind of resistance to pray. I don't know what it was, but um, I remember getting in my car and, and, and driving to work, um, probably it was a Tuesday, and I was like, I can't write a sermon when I'm feeling all this. It's probably that or something. Anyway, um, and, and I, was, I just know the Holy Spirit was convicting me to pray. I just kept feeling this, like, I need, I need to pray. But I didn't want to because I felt so conflicted, and I felt unworthy, and I wasn't sure where to begin. Those are real things. Those are real things we all feel. And as I was driving down Old Ringgold Road, I opened my lips, and I began Our Father, I remember where I was on the turn. Couldn't tell you a thing about why I was praying now. But I remember where I was when I said this. I said, Our Father. I wasn't sure what to pray. I didn't know how to pray. But I remembered Jesus said that when I pray, pray like this. I I didn't know what to do right now, but I I can trust Jesus. And so I I can just pray the way he taught me to pray. I'll just trust that Jesus, that this is a good way to pray. And we'll just, that's step one, and we'll just take it from there. And so I started praying, I said, Our Father, and I just got those two words out, and tears just started coming out of my face. And I was ugly crying for 3.8 miles, you know, until I got to the hub parking lot, okay? I, I didn't even get to the third word in this prayer, because I was reminded in that moment that I wasn't alone, and I was reminded that though I felt far from God, the truth is that He is not very far from any one of us. In fact, he and his kingdom and his salvation are closer to us now than the day we first believed. Friends, when you pray, trust Jesus. Begin praying along with the whole company of heaven, our Father. He loves you. You belong to him. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus, it seems, wants us to remember the grace upon grace that we belong to God And we who are in Christ Jesus have been adopted as His daughters and sons. And His Spirit testifies with our spirits that we are indeed His children, co-heirs with Christ Jesus, believe it or not. I encourage you to believe it. And, And the whole creation is waiting with eager longing for us to be revealed. And in light of that gracious and awesome reality, let's pray.